That's my aunt's name. I have an Aunt Nancy. I have a Grandma Nancy. Oh, that's the best name for an aunt or a grandma. It is. <laughs> best name for an aunt, grandma, or manager. Yeah. <laughs> Come on down. Get your Nancy today. It's the best name for an aunt, gra- uh, grandma, or manager. Special uh, sale on Nancy's going Nancy. on now. Nancy. I had a girlfriend named Nancy. Oh, did you? Hey, wait a minute. Hey. <laughs> oh, shit. Was too bad I don't have my audacity recording. Grandma? <laughs> <laughs> do you know this old man oh god does your this... grandma still hang out at dockside yeah, yeah. bars young man <laughs> it's tuesday june 9th 2015 and you're listening to episode 12 of roll up and die okay you people sit tight hold the fort and keep the home fires burning and if we're not back by dawn call the president Crank down my level. I think that I'm hitting about halfway between 24 and 12 right now, and I'm speaking at a normal volume. That's awesome. See, the weird thing about gain is that if you turn it slowly up, you Mm -hmm. won't really notice a difference, but then you'll hit like the wall, and then once you go past the wall, it'll be like like you'll hear the fucking neighbors next door. Right, yeah. Eating I, steak. I remember you know, always, doing, always doing sound checks, like when I was playing in a band, like you would you would bring the gain up until it started feeding back, and then you were like, okay, and then bring, and then it, down bring it back just yeah. below that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, ooh, speaking of sounds, I have a sound for you guys. Okay. Did you hear that? Was that it, it was it was either a cl- you're lighting a classic Zippo lighter. Yeah. yeah or that's what I was thinking. Or it's a a bottle of beer. It is a bottle of beer because tonight I'm playing the roll up and die drinking game. Oh, nice! No. Oh, Jesus! Oh, no. <laughs> so you're gonna have uh, four hosts until about halfway through. Then you're, then you're gonna have three and a half. Yeah, while your <laughs> wife takes you to the emergency room. Precisely. <laughs> now you are following following our established rules for that. Yes. Yeah, I am going to be an Ebert. Except, except for I will not be chugging any beers because I only have six. Okay. Uh, and so, <laughs> but instead of chugging a beer, I'll take a few nice gulps. Oh, so what's what's the trigger? Oh. oh, there's a number of them. All right. So I got my beer ready. You guys want to explain the drinking game to Rob? I don't, I don't have it handy, but I know you take a drink. Okay. You take a drink if Barker hasn't seen a movie. Yes. You take a drink mm-hmm. if um, Alex talks about something really messed up in one of his games and just yep. kind of acts like it's, ah, you know, that's just, you know, business as usual. You take a drink <laughs> if uh, Barker or I say any slang term that hasn't been popular since the mid 90s, such as radical, <laughs> dope, or dope, or um, chill, um, chill. I'm yeah. Bad. I say groovy. So. Oh, man. We might have to add that in there. And if uh, you uh, you take more drinks, if that word is preceded by the word super. Super. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you finish your drink if Barker actually has seen a movie that we mention. Uh, and yeah. there was one more. Oh, if, hot we, and ready. if we say hot and ready, um, then you have to take a drink. All right. So I'm just going to go ahead and take my first drink because I said right. ready. Get you started. All right. So how are you doing, Rob? I'm doing pretty good. You guys? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Doing I, right. um, 
Glad to I might need. I don't remember what I spoke about the last time, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't want to be repetitive. It's got the same set of notes. It it, it might be uh, making your encounters come alive part two. It also might be making your encounters come alive the remake. All right, good enough. <laughs> making your encounters come alive too, electric boogaloo. <laughs> okay, so um, near the end of this uh, podcast, I'd like to try just like a little two-minute experiment. There'd be a group uh, care, uh, in improv encounter creation. Oh, well, that, at the end, we usually do something that the, uh, our listeners can steal from us, so it could oh, be that. Oh, perfect. Perfect. As long as you're okay with copyright infringement, that's what we do. That's basically our <laughs> oh, yeah, thing. Yeah. Okay. So, what's new, guys, over the past week? <sighs> Oh, boy. Really? It's summer. Like the- I had one of those weeks where I tell you, two games canceled in the same week. It's oh, like, shit. That sucks. Mm. I know. Yeah. I, yeah. It's- yeah, I had one canceled, too. Oh, man. That really sucks, you guys. Oh, you know what I did do, though? I just finished up a camp- uh, two-year campaign I saw that, that, I've been, that I've been running online. Congratulations, yeah. man. That's awesome. That's yeah, nice. yeah. It originally started as two separate campaigns. And uh, they they uh, started at zero level, and um, uh, over the course of the games, probably about a third of the way through, uh, we lost a couple players to just uh, scheduling changes and things like that. So I ended up combining the campaigns into one because they all take place in the same world. Most most of my campaigns I run, with the exception of the uh, the Norbrook campaign, mm-hmm. uh, they all take place in in my world in the same world I've been running for you know twenty plus years or whatever, right. and. Uh, the world just keeps growing and growing, and and uh, so anyway, I started running them as a single campaign, and yeah, we just wrapped it up in a in a big epic uh, uh, final session, and I was able to get the two play, uh, two of the players who had had to bow out for scheduling to come back on for one final oh, uh, cool for one final session. Oh. So we had everyone back together for this, and it was Dude, just really awesome. cool. Yeah, and then we did a final kind of wrap up at the end where everyone's just sort of, you know, they're all sitting around a table at the end and sort of, uh, you know, talking about uh, uh, the past and just, you know, this fi- kind of final neat wrap up. It it, uh, it felt nice to get that kind of closure to it. That is, nice. you know, so many campaigns just peter out and fade away and never see an end. It's really cool, Alex, that you're able to actually wrap it up and have all the players involved and have a nice little wrap up scene like that i mean that's that's perfect you know that's Uh, what every dm dreams of (laughs) yeah it gives closure to the campaign exactly it does and then and then afterwards we have a uh we have a facebook group a private facebook group that we use for the game and everyone sort of posted um you know what their characters did afterwards and you know you know one one went off to become a politician and and uh businessman uh another one um, it kind of been on the other end of the spectrum. He had he had died in one of the recent um, uh, adventures, and it, it sort of kind of shattered his faith to some degree. So he he became very dark, and his his end story was just sort of wandering off into the wilderness. You know, f- basically taking on warriors wherever you could find them to try and see if they could defeat him it was kind of a death wish sort of thing oh, was that the okay. character that that uh that lost his connection with his deity yeah no no yeah. That, that was that was that was earlier on no this was uh he he died on a, in a uh kind of a little demi plane and so he was completely disconnected from 
his afterlife essentially. And he realized that um, they managed to bring him back before he was, you know, um, using revivify. So it was a, a fairly quick process. But that realization to him was very disturbing. It drove him mad for a while. And so his character just sort of wandered off becoming this, um, you know, he just looked for other warriors that he could fight and defeat. But again, it was more like, uh, I think it was more of a death wish on his part, you know, hoping someone will kill him basically. Right. And, uh, and then I think it ended some like five years later, he was never heard from again. Oh, <laughs> that, was, that was the end of his character. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's a pretty it's, grim ending. That's pretty cool, though, man. I'm, I'm. Uh, Becomes legend. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> this IPA is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I have only had one campaign actually end. Like all my other campaigns, really? yeah. And I, it's, I mean, I've played in plenty, cam- plenty of campaigns, and I've, I've run plenty of campaigns, but. You know, we always move on to something else or we take a break and never go back to it. Well, no, I guess that's not true. I guess I've had two. I had a Call of Cthulhu campaign that wrapped up and uh, I had a, I had a third edition campaign uh, that actually finished up well many years ago. But that was a, about a two, two and a half year campaign that got wrapped up. Um, it was one of those things I think... where I kind of just wanted it to end. And so I, I had all these loose threads that I had to tie up in about two or three sessions. It was incredibly stressful. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That's what I was, kind of what I was just going to say. Uh, often campaigns don't end because nobody plans an end. You don't, they don't write an end, yeah. write, write an ending. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Uh, the, uh, I've only had one game end, and even the, that game it wasn't like the end of a movie it was like the end of a season of a tv show right so that's um, always the way i do it yeah it could go on because i don't know if the players are going to want to but i i have run i've run a lot of games and you know we have gamer adhd but you know the sir Celine game is becoming a long-running thing and that's definitely going to be uh you know, a campaign with, but, but at the same time, you know, I don't like the idea of ending it without knowing that the players saying, uh, without the players saying like, Hey man, it's, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to finish this off. You know, usually it's, it's always like the ending of a season of a TV show or something. Yeah. 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 What do you think is the secret then to players wanting to play in an ongoing campaign? Is it the setting? Is it the players? Uh, did you just say heroin, Alex? Yeah, no, you were yeah Alex, was that you? Okay. Alex, did you just say heroin? I was going to say, if that was Alex Murphy, you take a drink. But, um... I can't believe you just said heroin, Alex. <laughs> I have a wild table, but not that wild. Um, I, yeah, I would say it's probably a combination of setting and a combination of the dynamic in the party. If you have a party of characters that all kind of don't really like each other and kind of are on constantly infighting you know that's that's something that's kind of fun for a while but if you have a, a, a an interesting dynamic in the party where you know there is inner conflict but they also you know have history together and they grow they grow closer and have different dynamics and different sort of friendships between them i think the comple- that complexity is what keeps me in a campaign is uh wanting to interact with my fellow party members and also non-player characters in the world so yeah yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, players have to form characters have to form bonds with other characters. Yeah, bonds, they want exactly. to 
the players have to want to play their character with those characters. And then they really look forward to the game, right? Exactly. Like, it's not just, I can't wait to see what the DM is going to throw at us. I can't wait to see what this guy's going to do. You know? Yeah. And you know, exactly yeah. Right. you know, the secret to being able to do that, to being able to make your players want to come back to the table. Heroin. <laughs> Close. First, you get them addicted to the heroin. <laughs> Not enough. You guys come back every Saturday at seven o'clock. <laughs> need a fix. The secret is making your encounters come to life. Part two. <laughs> Welcome everybody to Roll Up and Die, uh, your uh, extra planar RPG podcast. My name is Barker. And my name is Matt from a fistful, from a fistful of, dice. of dice. Hey, oh, jinx! And my name is Alex, aka Captain Gothnug. And my name is Rob, aka the Swamper. Right. And today we're going to continue the subject that Alex, myself, and Rob were talking about a couple weeks back about making your encounters come to life, making them feel, you know, less plain, less boring, making them feel like something your players have never experienced in their lives. Uh, not unlike heroin, um, <laughs> but today the difference is we have Matt with us, which is awesome. Uh, this right. gives us the ability to make uh, part two with a whole new uh, perspective behind it. Yes. Yeah. So I am actually going to send the first question over to Matt. No. And the first question is, have you ever done heroin? <laughs> I've never not done <laughs> I don't really remember a time in my life. Uh, no, no, no. no, no. I, I Actually, the real, when I was a child. <laughs> the real first question is the question that we got from the listeners the last time we talked, which is, Matt, acid or lava? Wait, they asked me specifically? The question was, Matt, acid or lava? No. Yes. Sure. No, they asked us, and now I'm asking you because <laughs> okay. you weren't here because you ditched us. I did. For... I did. Um, acid or lava? I gotta go with lava. Ooh. And uh, I don't know. Acid's gross. I like lava better. <laughs> lava. Lava's just. <laughs> uh, you know, acid has the corrosive quality, but I feel like a death. Like if you, if you're in combat and you fall into acid, like it's just agony like you don't you're not going to die right away it's just like oh my god but if you fall into lava it's like okay i'm evaporating in three seconds this isn't gonna last you know super long the only thing you can do is say i hate you yeah i hate you or you can put your thumbs up as you're sinking into the lava right yes (laughs) barker terminator two yes oh i've seen it okay there we go finish your beer no oh i'll just take a couple drinks okay perfect that's a good compromise i like it Good but time. yeah, lava all the way. Lava is a little easier to incorporate into the environment too, because lava tends to occur more naturally. Yeah, unless you fall into the Sarlacc pit. Yeah. Well, I didn't say there was no acid. There's more lava than acid. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I guess something that we we should probably touch on, and I'm going to shoot this to Rob, is you know, with kind of fifth edition jumping out here, you know, the the age of the miniature and the mini map and the grid. I mean, it, it's, it's, those things are still around, but the age of it is kind of, kind of going away along with fourth edition. And, uh, at least when it comes to D and D. So I guess, you know, personally, I don't know the answer to this question. I'm wondering it. Um, how do you make an encounter 
like how do you keep track of where people are and where people can move in an encounter without using miniatures while simultaneously keeping it lively and fun? Um, Rob. Okay. Uh, first thing to do is if tactical placement is going to matter and it doesn't in every encounter, if you're just say on a road where, you know, the road goes on for miles and the road is known to be 50 yards wide, you don't really need to be concerned too much with this person is, you know, precisely here. This person is precisely there. Mm -hmm. So for encounters other than that, the first thing to do when you're describing it as a DM is give the approximate dimensions. Make a, The players will create a mental box or shape within which they will fill via the descriptions you give them, what furniture is in the room, who is in the room, um, features of the room, fountains, statues, doors, ramps, stairs, so on and so forth. So once you've created this mental image, you've basically – painted a stage in their minds upon which the movie can begin, the show can begin. In my home game, I generally use a rule called close is close enough. Just if it's close enough, it, it's close. It's, if it's close, it's close enough. Just go. Just do it. Do your thing. Let's let's keep that movie rolling. Let's keep that cinema going. Now, that doesn't mean you have to completely get rid of tactics because you can talk about Guys up on a balcony, guys behind barriers, guys shooting through arrow slits. You, you can certainly bring all that in. Just keep that placement going. Uh, one last thing I'll add is every round, if you have a very dynamic combat where there's lots of movement going on, combatants shifting positions, every round quickly remind players who is where and what is going on. Yes. Okay, there's three orcs up on a balcony with bows. There's a big ogre. He's coming rushing at you with a giant spear over on the left-hand side. Pouring down the stairs, you can see two cultists. They're both armed with axes. Mm-hmm. Right? And, I, and I, would, I would say almost every turn, not just every yeah. round, but like, you know. That's what I mean, start, start of every turn. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. Exactly, because especially in an online game, and a lot of people are playing online games, just, you know, being able to kind of keep uh, keep that posted, keep that up to date for sure. Yeah. Everybody doesn't need to have the exact same mental picture as long as it's a problem. Stephen King it. Yeah. 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 It's a good way to keep the action going too, just keeping the excitement, keeping uh, the uh, the momentum because that's really what makes combat exciting and fast. You know, if, if the GM is describing all these things happening, this thing's charging, this thing's running, this thing's jumping out of the air, arrows are flying over your head – you're going to be thinking about what your character is doing. It's like, holy crap, what do I need to do now? And, you know, and, and they're, they're not going to be sitting there, you know, texting. It's like, what? Arrows went where? What? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, they're going to, it'll help them to be more involved in the game as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, as a player in combat, I, I try to incorporate descriptions of what other characters and what mm. enemies are doing in my narration. Like, oh, I, you know, I, I dodged the swing from the orc that attacked me. And then I, you know, I slide under, you know, uh, Bolfgar's shield as he deflects a blow and stab my sword into the into the nearest goblin. You know, it's, it's so you're you're almost kind of recapping with the dungeon master what has been occurring because mm. you know, in, any, in any given round everything's happening kind of more or less simultaneously. Yep. So you can totally incorporate all of that stuff into your description. And then as a dungeon master, something I found that helps is I've sort of incorporated the Edge of the Empire range band system into mm. my D and D game 
where it's like, oh, you're you're one move away or two moves away or he's within move distance. Basically saying like you can get to him just by spending your movement speed. Like you, you don't have to yeah. run. It's not going to take more than one turn. And that is sort of a really easy way to kind of abstractly uh, give people an idea of where they are in relation to each other and where they are in relation to enemies. I like the idea of, of the next player sort of recapping what the previous player did, mm-hmm. you know, kind of see, you know, so it, it kind of passes the Im- passes the the action around the group. Yeah. So, um, it, uh, you know, what reminded me of that recently was the uh, the new Avengers movie. I was gonna say yeah, that I, I haven't just, seen yeah, the no. that Alex. Yeah, yeah. When they and they, and they actually did it in the first one a little bit too, but when they cut from you know what this one's doing, and the other one kind of passes through yes. the frame, and then you follow them, and then the next one you know passes through the frame, you follow them, and and it just connects them all together, and then finally they do the one, you know, the one cool you know uh, shot of them all kind of in frame. The and just, Yeah, it was it was a, it was really a great way to sort of tie all of it in together, you know, show show them all doing what they're doing. And it was just like one handed off to the next, handed off to the next, and so on. So uh, I, I thought doing that, I could see doing that as, you know, having each player sort of pick that up. And that could be a really great way to, I've never, I've never done it, but uh, I might, uh, let's see about trying that. Is yeah, that I think that's a really yeah. smart way of doing it. And it's also, it, it by highlighting other characters, you also, honestly, you make your character cooler. Like you're, you're, you're interacting with your teammates, you're, using their movements and mm. their actions to your advantage and instead of being the the loner who is just super badass all by himself and doesn't need anyone else anyone else's help it's like working as a team is way cooler than that and the avengers yeah. movie are like to, just totally just a, a a testament to that to that idea well you know what else that does is it encourages um the person who you're describing to kind of up their game because now this next person is going to be describing what I just did. So I want to make this awesome. You know, I want to make this really so, I want to make this so cool for them to describe what I'm doing. Exactly. Yeah. It becomes infectious, that sort of style. Yeah. Yeah. You can sort of just, as the wizard's uh, light magic missile slams into the guy, I rush in with my axe and I chop him down while he's still stunned from the sparks over his head. You know, exactly. you can literally yep. just sort of continue the uh, passing the puck. I like to call it, but I'm Canadian, so I got to be the puck. Well, and and if if one person is is doing this awesome narration and incorporating the actions of his party members, you know, he's you know he's giving this awesome description. The next guy is is less likely to just say. I I attack with my sword. You know, he's going to feel obligated to kind of at least put a little bit of work into his into his description. It's kind of positive, positive use of peer pressure. Yes, exactly. Positive peer pressure. That's exactly right, Alex. And and that might have answered my question. You know, who's who who, this task? Who does it fall to? Is that DM responsibility or player responsibility? I feel like everyone everyone is equally responsible for for promoting that kind of um narration and description i think the the dm can uh you know reward players for that with with you know even giving them mechanical benefits for their for their descriptions i have a you know fate chips that i use at my table just poker chips that will give a player advantage on a roll kind of, they're kind of like inspiration uh it but works. you know if, if a player gives a, a particularly cool description or a, a, you know a neat idea in combat you know i'll toss them a poker chip and that is just kind of a, a tangible way it's like it's 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 bad, but it's a treat. You know, it's like, hey, good job. Here's a treat. You know, like do that again. It's positive reinforcement. 
<laughs> Sometimes I might say, once the player gives me the damage number, I might say, uh, you kill the ogre. Tell me what that looks like. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's exactly how I do it, too. I o- always have them describe killing blows, and I'll, I'll, I'll ask it of them if they don't, you know, give it to me automatically. Killing blows and spells. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And critical hits as well. I usually have them describe <laughs> critical hits because, you know, those are... <laughs> Those are particularly nasty amounts of damage. Yeah, and they should be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, and you can even do it for misses. I mean, you don't got to make a big deal out of it. Be, you know, my sword swings down, but it slams off the uh, shoulder pad of the of the creature. You know, yeah. something like that. Or <laughs> you know, have them describe, you know, when they get hit by one of your creatures yeah how, tell me tell me what that looks like when you yeah. just got stabbed you know a lot of these players will well i mean uh, at least the ones that i've played with will take advantage of that and make that really cool yeah absolutely yeah i, I found that that a player if they're describing their own fumble will do something <laughs> much worse to themselves than i could ever think oh, of yeah, doing to them. yeah. <laughs> It's like, holy crap. Well, I'm okay, sure. yeah. So your arm is off. And <laughs> you're, you're, what was it? Just last night in the Provokers game, I uh, I decided that because I got hit so hard that my, I'm a wizard, my staff would just go flying. And I was like, yeah. that'll be cool to see the staff go flying, then I'll be unarmed. And then I was sure. fighting with a dagger for the rest of the encounter. And then, you know, later in the session, I realized, you know, when we moved on through the woods, I realized shit, I totally didn't pick up my staff. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the one who decided to throw it away and I didn't pick it up. I know. But, you know, it's it's crazy because, um, and this is a way I think encounters and campaigns come alive, is that, dude, I'm telling you, screwing up is way cooler than winning. Yeah. Every time. They're they're almost always the most memorable Thing, mm-hmm. uh, memories when you recap them and recall them with your friends. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And and that's I think that's the thing we we can bring into encounters is um, to make them memorable. But you do that sort of by making them cinematic, kind of like we were talking about. You know, referring to a movie uh, the way a movie did it. Think you know, really try to think of it in terms of of a scene in a movie, and then you can sort of. Uh, and, and as you paint this picture, people will be able to see it. So by that's how you, that, that's how people are going to bring it to life by creating that image around them that they that they can interact with. Yeah, yep. And the better you describe that scene, the better they're able to picture it. The more immersed they can become from it. Like, so well, and like we were, and like we were saying, if they're describing it, it's even better because now they're adding to this. They feel more invested in it. They feel more. Um, involved in the creative process. Well, and the collaborate story overall is always better than the, the one the individual is yeah. going to tell. I don't want to make it all up. <laughs> you know, I, I, it always kills me when I, as a DM, people will ask me, well, you know, how's this going to turn out? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a script pre-written I hand out. I don't know. No, I mean, I can't, you know, you kind of have like maybe some sort of idea as to where the game is going, but... If you're not going to stop the players, if they say, you know what? No, I'm going to go left. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. There's, and, no wall, there's yeah. no invisible walls. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I say that I have I have images or, or scene, kind of vague scenes in my head, and they can kind of be plugged in multiple places in the campaign. So if my players go off in a completely different direction, it's not going to necessarily undo any work or brainstorming that I've done. I can just kind yeah. of implement it in a different way. Yeah, right. I've been planning an encounter for uh, 
a game session that might even never come, but it, it's based on a race, an aerial race, like a, in, they're riding eagles and kind of like a triathlon, nice. you know, four different players, four different segments of the race. And I was thinking like, okay, I need to come up with these four different obstacles, these four different interesting segments of the race. And I was thinking like, you know what, what if I didn't do that? And what if I said to my players, okay, so you take off, what is your obstacle? Like what happens during this race? And then your players make it up and then you do the rolling. Like Mm. what are the benefits of doing that and the dangers of doing that? And is that something worth, I don't know, doing? One of the problems is that the player has to come up with something good on the spot where if you knowing what's coming in advance, I mean, a lot of the writing, the prepping I do for a game, I mean, I, I, I spend a week prepping for a game, but five days of that is just thinking and rejecting and reforming and remodeling ideas until I, I come upon something. Okay. That really actually does sound good. And I get it down. But if you put the player on the spot, they might come up with something good, but they might also go, ah, and then, right, what do you do? Yeah. Right? I would I would probably give them something to sink their teeth into and let them expand from it. So okay. instead of saying, what obstacle do you come up with, maybe you say, okay, this part of the race you're flying over particularly windy updrafts and mount, sharp mountain peaks. Now tell me what happens. Oh, yeah. Or, or say something like, uh, you know, you have to dive down, like nose dive as fast as you can straight to the to the earth and then pull up at the last second. But there's a monster at the bottom that's trying to stop you from being able to pull up. What monster mm-hmm. is that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those specifics to kind of, I don't know, keep it in the in, in the, the frame it, it of gives them It gives them an idea to focus on and then they can. Because, you know, mm-hmm. players are dumb. <laughs> Well, <laughs> just guide them along just hold their hand it's hard to i uh you know one of the one of the the things that i love about being a dungeon master no you know what the thing that i love about being a dungeon <laughs> master, like my favorite thing about being a dungeon master is surprising my players catching mm-hmm. them off guard oh, yeah. seeing their reactions to the things yeah. that I've been planning for, you know, a week or a month, you know, and I finally drop it and I just, <laughs> and I see the, the, <laughs> oh, looks, totally. you know, the looks on their faces. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to lose that. But at the same time, you know what my second favorite thing about being a Dungeon Master is? My mm. players surprising me. And so mm. I like Rob's idea of like setting up, you know, kind of the, the scenario and letting your players kind of, you know, fill in the cracks, so to speak, you know, yeah. uh, helping to you know, collaboratively kind of flesh out whatever scenario you've presented yeah. them with, you know, and it's like, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, I, I mentioned I had a Mad Max style encounter in a game a couple weeks ago where I had these goblins riding on the back of pterodactyls. And, mm. you know, I, I, the way I described, you know, that these kind of war platforms on top of these pterodactyls just brimming with goblins and them kind of <laughs> rising up out of the clouds to attack this airship. It's like, I would not have wanted to miss the player's reaction to me describing that, but mm-hmm. you know, it would have been cool to have the players somehow involved in, in deciding what was going to happen in that encounter. So and it's kind of like, it depends on your group and that's such a fallback answer. Everything yeah, depends yeah. on your group in role playing. Yeah. If you have, no, if I don't you have think a group it's, that's, I, I just gonna say, I don't think it's such a, a bad fallback answer because no. a good DM will write for his players. If you yeah. know your players like a heavy action game, Write a heavy action game. Don't try and force them to enjoy a political game. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, that's a really good point. You know, if they if you know that your players love a dungeon crawl, yeah, you know, give them a dungeon crawl or at yeah. least, you know, give them a dungeon session, like do something like that. Yeah, no, it, it, it really I mean, everything kind of depends on the group. And, you know, the the dungeon master probably more than anyone knows knows what their group likes, knows the preferences of the players and and their own preferences as well. And so it's important to kind of, uh, you know, make the game suit your players rather than the other way around, you know, and you can't, you can't force feed your player, you know, I will make you play this game. You will like this, you know, it's, it, it's, if you're having problems with your group, you know, you got to adjust so that they, they enjoy it and you enjoy it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You're spending six hours shopping. I don't care what you say. <laughs> <laughs> you find a nice have, pair of pumps. Prepped. You're going to be looking through the equipment book. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> So what else can we say about encounters? I think that they are super dope. Take a drink. I'm the only one helping myself out here, man. <laughs> I know. I don't, the thing is, Burger, I don't want you to die. So I'm just trying to keep it under control. Thanks, man. You're welcome. <laughs> While he's doing his heroin. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't want you to come down the same path as me, um, man. I'll, I'll, I'll add uh, something. I, and I don't remember everything we talked about last time so forgive me but um either i'll tell you what i'll tell you what really quick rob if the if listeners if you're upset that we're repeating ourselves we will uh refund all the money that you paid to listen to this yeah. there you go <laughs> yeah. in fact we'll give you double mm-hmm. um one of the things i was gonna say was uh talk about mood and i don't just mean the setting or the atmosphere but how you're actually relaying the information as a GM. If you get to a place that's creepy and spooky, change your voice. Bring it down. Slow down. Talk about the whispering winds and atmosphere, the fog that slowly rolls down the cliff face. Try and use the tone of your voice to help set the mood and match the words and the feeling you're going for. Yes. Oh, I have a, a video on this actually, and you know, I know the shilling episode was the last episode, but this one, you know, I, I, uh, uh, in one of my videos, I talk about uh, active voice and passive voice, and what you just did, Rob, is passive voice. You know, the fog rolls in, and you know, the mist uh, uh, kind of rolls up your nostrils and back out again, and it wisps slightly as you walk through it, and then when they get ambushed, I mean, I'm serious, GMs, bang on your table. Boom! Like, I mean, yes. on stuff and yell and, you know, really stand up at the table. That's it. Yes. Get that adrenaline going. It creates yeah. the idea that there's like that whatever you're going to do, players, you got to do it now. That's now. it. Bang! The door crashes open. Wood splinters go flying. The ogre comes surging through. Ah! <laughs> what do you do? Hurry, hurry, hurry. What do you do? Yes. What do you do? Five, four, three, oh, two. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> when you, if your players are leaving, if you give your players a heart attack. <laughs> 30 feet away. <laughs> yeah, distance is another good way to, to kind of ramp up, ramp up the tension in an encounter. Mm-hmm. Having uh, something at, you know, if you just say something is 30 feet away and they start talking about it, all right, they're 20 feet away. Oh, what? Uh, <laughs> 19, 10 18, feet away. 17, 16. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. that, 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 that really ramps up the, uh, the tension, which is really what you want in, especially, obviously, a combat encounter. Yeah. I had a, my falling elevator encounter a few sessions ago in the Provokers. I, you know, when the elevator dropped, I said, the elevator's going to hit the bottom of this canyon in two rounds. 
And so it was like every and I was constantly reminding them at the end of this round, the elevator is hitting the bottom of the canyon. Like you see the ground racing up towards you. And so it was like you literally have 12 oh, yeah. seconds, 12 seconds. To yep. get out of the elevator in free fall before this thing crushes you. Yeah, that's what I call a, a trash compactor. Level. Yes. Yeah. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Shut down all garbage smashers on the detention level. Oh, they're dying, R2. They're dying. <laughs> I wasn't fast enough. I failed them. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, I love that. That kind of uh, emphasis on time. Yeah. Uh, time can be a little ham-fisted every once in a while, you know, like if, uh, but you know what? I say that out of theory. I've never played in a game where that was the case, though. Like if someone like at one time I had a GM that said, OK, you've got to accomplish this heist in a certain amount of time. And he set a timer for 30 minutes and he set it on the table. Yeah. And I promise you that was awesome. I was just yes. going to ask if if you or someone you've played with has ever busted out a timer or a, like an hourglass even first. I have, yeah. That. Yeah, I, yeah. I have yeah. I've, used, I've used hourglasses before. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, I love that. What was yeah. going to happen there, uh, Alex, if the hourglass ran out? <laughs> well, actually, I used to use it for, uh, for combat rounds. So the entire party had the time, you know, uh, it, was, it was a little three-minute egg timer. So you'd flip it, and so the, the, the entire group has three minutes in total to act, you know, to to act as players. And so, you know, between thinking about it, I mean, even though a round is only six seconds, they still have only the, the, the group only has three minutes, you know, to, to, to consider what they're doing basically. So, um, you know, obviously some things you can do in real time. Some are not quite as easy to do in real time, but, but you uh, have to allow for conversion because the players yeah. are effectively blind and deaf in your world. They, they only, hear what you describe to them they only know what you describe to them so they have this the input isn't instant they have to wait until you say it and then they have to absorb it they can't react as fast as they could in real life so you, you got to give them a little leeway but yeah yeah okay I, i've also done the one where you do a round countdown i did something where they had six rounds on or the whole place was collapsing mm. And I took a, a big giant six-sided die and I put it in the middle of the table with the six up. And at the end of each round, I would just flip it five, four, yeah, three. Yeah. The, uh, something similar, sort of, and I, I, I'm not sure if this directly applies to making your encounters come to life, but I have a massive bullet that, comes, that came from an, F, uh, uh, an FA-18 Super Hornet wow. jet. And, nice. um, and I have an issue... And my players have an issue sometimes with we all have an issue with character death. Like, uh, you know, if you're doing a long running story, like when is it OK to have a character die? Should the player be OK with it? Or, you know, it, I mean, it depends on the game, obviously. But in my kind of TV show like games, you know, I don't ever like to just your character's dead, you know. So yeah. but I like to give them a way of knowing, hey, um, there is a serious possibility that you're going to die right now. And yep. what I'll do is I'll put the bullet on the table in front of the DM screen and, and I will and I'll make them know it. And I will just kind of and I have it here right in front of me. And it'll it sounds like this. And that sound is like a I mean, geez. And these players will be like, oh, OK, all right, I got you. Like so something like that to let them know. Hey, this encounter serious. I mean, that can help make your encounter come to life. A little. We're now at 
We're at DEFCON 5. <laughs> it means there's an F-18 Super Hornet uh, that I'm putting into this game right now in this encounter. You're like, about to be strafed. <clears throat> I feel like every DM has something like that. Like, they're, you know, DMs who have their player killing D20, you know, or something like that, where it's like, <laughs> it's getting serious now, guys. I'm busting out the red D20, all right? So, <laughs> what's your... I have- I have to say, though, let's say a player uh, is going to live or die on a single roll of the dice. I will take that die and I will roll it a long time before I let it go where everybody can see. And I'll say, all right, if this roll is above this number, he's dead. Explain it. And then I'll give him a few seconds for that to sink in. You can bet all eyes are focused on that die when it rolls. Oh yeah, <laughs> the guy's clutching his character sheet, just yeah. rubbing the ink right off of it. <laughs> announce, announce when there's a roll. When a roll is is crucial, the outcome. Yeah. yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I for the most part, I roll behind a screen. But for rolls like that, when it's like, I, I usually roll out in the open for stuff like that. I, you know, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't want there to be any question of, you know, fate's role in, <laughs> in, in whatever cheater. event is transpiring. So. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of of the uh, online die rollers just because I don't the the randomness seems kind of wonky to me. But um, I've been using it more because I, I think it is important. And actually, in uh, I think it was the session before last in the Norbrook campaign, uh, one of the characters got a critical hit and got his got his uh, uh, got his throat cut basically, mm-hmm. and he was bleeding out. And there was nothing he could do about it. He was stunned. He's bleeding out, and so. Um, you know, of course, that adds tension to it as well because now, now they're still dealing with what's going on, and they have to now finish up combat so they can, you know, save his life. That sort of thing. Yeah, that's yeah. a different kind of timer. Yeah, yeah, it's an emergent timer. <laughs> Suddenly, there's there's now this thing that has to be done quickly. You know, before it was tough. Now it's tough and urgent. I would say choices also. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. not only does something have to be done quickly, but a couple things have to be done quickly and you can only do one thing at a time. Do you want to slay this creature that you just need to slay because he's about to, I don't know, kill your friend? Or do you grab the the satchel that's holding this magical item that you need that's slipping off of your wrist about to fall into a chasm into the river? Like, do you, which one do you do? <laughs> uh, I mean, and, and give him that choice because I don't know that I feel like that, I mean, when it comes to making your encounters come to life, there there are few better things to do than that. Than you know, in order to make your game feel less like a, well, I'll just swing my sword again. Yes, yes. Have goals in the fight other than last man standing. Have things going on. Um, my players, I asked them what one of their favorite encounters they ever ran for them was, and they talked about an encounter I did where it was underground. There was an earthquake. Uh, going on inside this mountain, the ground was splitting open. There was a portal they had to get to. They were on one side. There was a chest way over on the other side of the cave, just back, packed to the rim with gold and jewels. Mm-hmm. But the chasm was slowly getting wider and wider while they were fighting some Durger. So mm-hmm. it's like, do we kill these guys? <laughs> do we get out? Do we try and get the treasure? How much time do we have before the port? The chasm gets too wide. And it's raining rocks, which was like a random – every time around we'd start, I would just roll a number. Every combatant on the table and somebody would get schmuck with a rock. And- oh, also it's raining rocks. 
Yeah. See, I, <laughs> I I like that because it's it. There's a lot going on in that encounter. It's very dynamic, but it's not super complicated. Like it's not like you have you know armies clashing and a bunch of different types of monsters. It's like no, there's environmental effects, there's enemies, and there's a couple different paths they could choose to go down. Uh, you know, and, and what they decide and how they act is going to kind of determine who makes it out of this thing alive. So, and that, you know, is very mm. clear to the players when you describe things like, you know, the chasm is getting wider and wider and there's this chest and there's the portal. And so I, I like stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Now, uh, do it, do any of you guys scale your encounters or do you just, uh, make an encounter that makes sense? And, um, do you mean like make, yeah. a, make an encounter that is completely like the challenge of whatever level the player is? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say I'm not a huge fan of of balance within a game. Yeah, because to me, balance is just another way of saying you know it. It, it makes it feel sort of video gamey to me yeah. because if you're you know, if you're only confronted with things that you can that are right at your perfect mm-hmm. challenge level. Then I don't know. It it, it just uh, it's it's less interesting, you know. Sometimes you want an encounter that they can just wade right through, you know. Uh, <laughs> tenth level guys fighting, um, you know, a small band of you know goblins. <laughs> they right. can just wipe right wipe right through them. Ninth level enemy, you know, like something <laughs> right. that they can get a little hurt, but then you know patch themselves up, but they'll still win. Or they they confront something that they that there's no way they can win. And they, they have to run, yeah. Uh, or they I, win, or, or yeah, or or surprise, surprise, they win. Uh, in the uh, again, back in the Norbrek campaign, early on, they, um, they encountered the lair of a black dragon, and they managed to, um, to sneak into uh, to this lower level, and it had a huge cave, and it was actually kind of uh, on the on the far side of it. And there was this place where these uh, kobolds were leaving these offerings to it. So they would go down and leave these these treasure offerings and then the dragon would eventually come over and take its offerings back. The dragon was trapped down there. But these, uh, these kobolds were sort of worshipping it. And so they get down there and uh, even as they sort of reach the bottom of the stairs and they see this treasure that had been left by the kobolds, suddenly they, they hear the dragon approaching in the darkness, you know? And so they have to like quickly grab something and run up, you know, basically, basically run back up the stairs before it gets there. So they each quickly just kind of grab something and run. And, and then of course, you know, they're about a third of the way up the stairs and this huge splash of acid hits the, hits the bottom step, you know? And, uh, so it, was a, it made for a very cool, uh, cool dramatic scene, but there was no, you know, no practical way that they were going to take on a black dragon. Yeah. You know, it, it was not a, that was not an encounter that I expected them to stand their ground with their weapons raised and, and actually fight it. Exactly. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm a big fan of the quote unquote unwinnable encounter. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'll throw one at my players with no clear idea of how are they going to get out of this? You know, and, and, and it's because yeah. I trust them to, come up with something that that might work i i just had a session with my fiance i've been running a one-on-one campaign and i mm-hmm. she's a level two or three monk 
um, and she has a couple of NPCs with her, but I threw this gigantic construct at her. It's a war-forged <laughs> titan. I mean, just I, I dropped this miniature on the table, and her eyes just went wide like, uh. And, but you know what? She climbed on top of this thing, and was hitting at it with her weapons, and she, you know, I, I was describing to her how, you know, you can't find a, a, a gap in this thing's armor. It seems impervious to your attacks. Mm. So she dropped down to the ground. She got out this chain that she was carrying. She wrapped it around this thing's leg with a couple of dexterity checks and basically tripped this thing as it snapped the chain mm -hmm. and its weight carried itself forward and it toppled into a building. And she said, all right, I'm getting the hell out of here, you know? And so it was like, you yeah. haven't beaten this thing. You're probably going to see it again, but you know what? You did some damage and you got away fairly unscathed in this combat. So it's like, I threw this at her not knowing how it was going to go because I knew <laughs> that she was going to come up with something cool. So, yeah. Uh, yes, win. yes. Un unwinnable doesn't mean unsurvivable exactly as long yeah as long as you as the gm don't tie the player's hands give them options like you say here's this thing how do you want to deal with it as long as you don't take away all their options and force them into a physical conflict yeah yeah, yeah. Yes. and as long as they're, they're aware what kind of game you're running that yes. you know if they're if they're expecting a game where every encounter is is tailor-made for their challenge rating then they might just go in well it looks pretty tough, but we should be able to win because we're supposed to be able to win. <laughs> and if they have that mindset, well, they're, they're in for a big surprise. They're, yeah, they're toast. Yeah. Um, but you, you can also kind of mess with them a little bit where you can make an encounter seem like one of those. But, <laughs> <laughs> oh, reinforcements arrive. Oh, more reinforcements are on the way. God. Son of a... <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of like early game in the first few sessions tailoring the encounters so that they can be beaten specifically barely beaten just to give the players kind of like the feel let them know what's going on but every single campaign i've run there's always that that in that uh that campaign session where i'm like okay guys by the way and matt you did this too i just want to let you know you can die now like starting now, like I'm not going to hold, I'm not going to pull any punches. Like you've gotten your feel of the world. Like this is just, you know, whatever. Yeah. I imagine like a drill, I imagine like a drill sergeant pacing back and forth until now. You, you have been nothing. I've been going starting today. Asses. Starting today. I have a funny drill instructor story. Now that you developed really? an attachment to your I do. I have a very funny drill instructor story. I want to hear Go it. Go on. I, uh, we, when I was a uh, sophomore in high school, no, freshman in high school, we went to San Diego uh, where the, the west side of the Mississippi Marine Corps Recruiting Depot is. So if you live west of the Mississippi and you join the Marines, you go to San Diego for boot camp. If you live, if you live east of the Mississippi, you go to Paris Island, which is a lot worse than San Diego. Right. But we're staying there and – uh, the, you know, we're staying inside the barracks and these drill instructors are, have been told, Hey, you know, you know, wake them up like you would recruits if you could. You know? <laughs> and so they throw a freaking trash can down the middle oh, of the yeah. barracks. I fall off the top bunk. I hit my head. I still have like vertigo to this day from that. But <laughs> the story I have is that there's one kid in our entire just, you know, battalion. Cause we went for an ROTC thing one kid who didn't speak much English. Basically, all he knew was, yes, sir. <laughs> and he was Russian. His name was Artyom Zorubin. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, guess who the drill instructor decides to get in the face of? Oh, no. 
and he gets in his face. He jumps on the footlocker because he's tiny little drill instructor. They're all tiny. And he just starts shouting in his face. Are you an idiot? Yes, sir. Are you? Wait, what? <laughs> are, you, are you messing with me? Yes, sir. And it's after a while. It's like, what the hell is this kid? This kid's unflappable, man. <laughs> anyway. Let's have another. <laughs> Um, yeah, and- I, I, I do. I do. I was just going to say off of what Matt uh, Parker was saying there that I don't exactly tailor the encounter so much as in the early game, I'll give them hooks to areas where stuff is that they can ha- probably handle. Like, in other words, the world has everything. Yeah. And they might encounter anything at any time, but in the very early going, I will steer them towards the more appropriate stuff. Yeah, I like, I like for the players to self-regulate if they can, you know. Um, all right, there are all these, there are all these uh, messages on the, on the, uh, on the, <laughs> the adventurer's board. Uh, let's see. Uh, big Dragon, uh, tour, you know, um, Raiding City. Nope. Uh, <laughs> ah, Car- Caravan Guard Goblins. We can do this one. You know, take bandits. that one off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was that sound? What was that? Sorry, that was me. Oh, okay. Are you on the beach sipping a mai tai? <laughs> That's what it sounded yeah. like. Yeah, it's, it's uh, what, are, what are the what are the what are the greatest Canadian beaches there? <laughs> I mean, you said you were rural, but I didn't know you lived on a deserted island. I mean, I had to. <laughs> sorry. So uh, we got some questions. Oh, good. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. Let's, let's take a look. Oh, that's a really good question. And uh, yeah, oh, totally. We're going with Derek W's. Um, his question is, and this is these are all from like half a month ago. Yeah. Um, his is, have you ever used out of combat things to spice up your encounter? Example, like combat in an alley spilling into a parade or a festival with the crowd cheering the combatants <laughs> thinking they are... Uh, like actors putting on a show if so uh what was what was yours what happened i actually just had something similar to that that was actually uh where the uh the halfling got his throat cut uh they were in a uh this underground marketplace and uh it's a very kind of seedy environment and the fight broke out between these uh these drow and and the party and all the uh uh all the merchants and, and customers and all around, they, they started to like cheer out, cheer all the, uh, the combat on and they're, they're, they're making bets and basically putting, putting money on who was going to win or lose that sort of thing. So, um, that was kind of cool. I like that. I did a, I did a game once. I, it was the first session and it only lasted two or three. Uh, but the first session was, you know, an assassin going to assassinate somebody that they actually wanted to assassin. But, uh, the, I know weird, right? But uh, the the strange thing was that they were actually on stage. It was part of a play. Hmm. And so the lights were turning on and the audience was cheering and clapping and stuff. And they still had to do this, but in a way that still seemed like they were acting like it was part of a play. I like that. I had a um, an encounter in a campaign of mine where um, the, it was a city campaign and all of the guilds of the city sort of oversaw different aspects and 
the players were going to meet with the guild that was in charge of the fighting pits, essentially. And they show up uh, to meet with the leader of the guild, and it's an ambush. And as they like walk into the arena to meet with this guy, they're like, oh, shoot. Because they see there's a full audience seated in the seats. And they ended up having to like fight and survive these encounters in the fighting pits or basically like, you know, unwitting combatants in this in this arena. And the crowd is just cheering them on. And uh, a couple of the players that were sort of not immediately involved started casting minor illusion with like the other characters names <laughs> like in the air and like trying to get the crowd super pumped, you know, to, to help to cheer them on and help them. And basically became like the hype men of the, of the other, other uh, player characters. But I, I remember that being a lot awesome. of fun. Yeah. Well, I think you could take it literally to bring elements in with weather, you know, uh, a fight with a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, orcs along the road is cool. But it can be a lot cooler if it's in a thunderstorm. You know, it's downpouring rain, thunder and lightning, that sort of thing. That can be awesome. Uh, if it's in the winter, you know, have it just fighting in the snow. What's people can imagine what that would be like if you're, you know, knee deep in snow, trying to move, move and fight through that. Um, well, some uh, of the best the, action movies are happening, like you know, in a factory that's made yeah. while you're fighting. You know, so it's and I've had other situations where the 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 party in the course of that fight has actually set their own environment on fire <laughs> through, through use of spells and so forth. So now they're not just fighting in a building, they're fighting in a burning building. So they sometimes bring the, these sort of elements in themselves, which is kind of neat too. Rob. Yes. Don't sip in your Mai Tai. You want to pitch it? Um, sorry. I was having a few little technical glitches there. Oh no. Uh, I don't, I don't know <laughs> what kind of audio files I'll wind up with, but um, <laughs> that's all right. So, yeah, carry on. I'll, I'll catch up. I'm, I'm good now. Okay. All right. Uh, have you ever done something like uh, a parade or something? Like I, That's what I was thinking. Like, um, I mean, what a great question. And not only a great question, but a great idea, Derek. Like, um, putting a combat in an alley and then all of a sudden the combat goes into a parade. And, and I, I might even say that, you know, people don't think it's a show. They know it's a fight, but... But now you have market stalls and you can jump up on a float and, you know, grab someone's beverage and smash it over someone else's head. I mean, like really. And then all of a sudden this huge fight breaks out. Uh, you know, that can go in uh, a countless number of places. I, I did an encounter once where the party was moving through town and they were approaching an intersection, a fairly big intersection. And it was blocked by a crowd and some guards. And they were had the road temporarily blocked off because there was a prisoner escort moving through. So there was guards <laughs> on horses leading a big wagon with bars with a bunch of um, criminals in it and a, and a second cage that had a huge ogre in it. And then there was people in the crowd that had been hired to break them out before they got to the jail. And so – the jailbreak occurred right then and there while there was a huge crowd on the streets. And so the party had to try and not get civilians harmed while they're trying the guards to help the guards recapture the criminals and this huge ogres doing all kinds of destruction. There's people just running and screaming everywhere, doors slamming. It was a, it was pretty chaotic and fun. That's awesome. <laughs> was this in the middle of like a, a city? Yep. Right in the middle of a city. Beautiful. Can I steal that? 
Yeah. Cheers, man. Totally. Speaking of stealing ideas, uh, I believe it's that time again for an idea that our listeners can steal. And Rob, you had an idea. Okay, so uh, my idea was we could – we've been talking about all the kind of elements that make an encounter great. And we're going to right now bring some of those elements to bear. So I know a little bit about these three guys I'm talking to and their preferences. So I'm going to each give them an assignment hopefully suitable to their skill set. So I'm going to start it <laughs> off. So the scenario is a very old library. It's been out of use for 50 years or more. And it's haunted. Maybe it's off in the woods. It's off the beaten path. So that is the setup. Now, I'm going to ask Alex, who's really good at describing like little sort of creepy accoutrements and weird things that might be found in the library. So I'm going to have you maybe describe some strange or odd things we might find in this library. Sure, sure. So the library itself is is uh, it's there's still some books on the shelves, but most of them have have kind of rotted and decayed. Uh, one of the things that that stands out though is uh, a section of the shelf that has a uh, uh, a jar on it. The jar is about maybe a foot in diameter and, and two feet high, and inside is this kind of um, yellowish green liquid and. Uh, very occasionally, as you as you sort of looking at it, the water will kind of swirl, and you see this dark shape, kind of long and slender, like an eel or a leech, uh, kind of begin is is still spinning around in it, just uh, moving, and and it's slightly phosphorescent, so it's it's giving off its its own uh, its own sort of glow. Um, in fact, it's so um, it's odd in that it looks like the dust is it doesn't even come near. The jar. Uh, there's this heavy dust and, and debris over everything, except for maybe this little six-inch space around where the jar is, and uh, the dust does not even seem to go near it. the uh, uh, The only other thing that's in that area that you can see are the remains of a figure, and this figure is at the base of the shelf where this jar sits, and. It, what all that's left of him really is is this sort of these sort of skeletal remains wrapped in uh, uh, decaying clothes, bits of uh, bits of weaponry that have long since rusted, and, and even uh, fungus and lichens are sort of growing on this uh, this body. But the hand is is still has is still kind of fused to the bottom shelf as it was trying to uh, to climb over there, and the the remnants of a dart. Is still embedded in in the uh, in the spine of this uh, of this skeleton. That's that's nice. I love it. There's a little thing the the party can investigate when they get inside there, and it adds to the sort of oddness of this uh, library. Yeah. Okay. So, Barker, I believe you just did a video on bringing NPCs to life. So, this library is haunted. It's not empty. Um, most of the inhabitants are in hiding soon to burst free and attack the party. But one resident of this library is not in hiding, the librarian who is undead. Tell us about this librarian, this undead librarian. Okay. It's going to uh, reach the party. Awesome. Um, <laughs> this undead librarian is actually um, in different pieces around the library. Um, uh, and uh, part of this librarian is controlling this mechanism that moves the bookshelves along this track 
you know, these massive bookshelves just slide across the room and have the ability to even smash along the walls. Yeah, Another- no, wait, you're getting into the environment. And that's what I'm going to give to Matt. Tell me about the character of this NBC. Okay, well, she's <laughs> she uh, <laughs> she uh, she likes Pokemon. Um, <laughs> she, <laughs> okay. Then I, I will I will say that she is in different parts around the room. And I don't want to get into environment, but I would like to think that she can adjust different things simultaneously. Okay. Okay. So um, one of the things we talked about was environment. You know, we talked about lava and weather and wind and slippery ice and things like that. But using the environment in a combat situation does not have to be confined to the outside. It can be inside. And in fact, inside this library – Things can become very animated because it's a haunted library full of undead. So when combat finally does occur, lots of animated things are going to be happening in this library. And Matt's going to tell us about what some of those things might be. <laughs> so what I, what I am immediately thinking, I'm just going to go with my first instinct here, is uh, some, of the, some of the magic that is sort of present in this library that is you know, uh, responsible for the haunting and the undead inhabitants. It results in what is essentially a library golem. And so while the encounter is happening, you know, these books start flying off the shelves and they start kind of swirling together in this, in this sort of cyclone. And the, the books, you know, might hit the players or the players might be able to push their assailants into the kind of book cyclone that's happening and have the, You know, the enemies get torn apart as these books just come flying past. But eventually the books sort of coalesce with bits of bookshelf and papers and, you know, table legs and bits of chairs into a sort of vaguely humanoid shape made up of library components that will then sort of attack anything that's near it, including undead or player characters. That is, that is such a Matt Click thing. I know. I'm so, <laughs> I love I'm it. I'm so Matt Click all the time. I just can't <laughs> help it. So there you go. I think that's a pretty cool encounter. Mm-hmm. Huh? Do something with that. Can we make the library two stories? Sure. Yeah, why not? That's a... Great. Have yeah, an it, upper... Up, maybe an upper section oh. with a balcony and other books. Or- yeah, exactly. And, and, a, a fl- and a flooded basement. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. And a D&D room. <laughs> <laughs> when, when Matt was describing all the books flying at you and stuff, all I could think was is the, the pen is mightier than the sword. <laughs> ow. 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 <laughs> nice. I submit to your logic. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe the, the library golem has like quills for fingers. It's like I can do claw attacks with its hand, with its quill hands. <laughs> it's like, good God, did you have to use like Nietzsche? I mean, could you not go with Camus, the stranger? It's a paperback. Use a paperback. <laughs> it's a golem made out of a tale of two cities. Run! No! (laughs) That book is 60 years late. (laughs) My grandmother used to have a huge Bible that, I mean, seriously, was like 12 inches thick. Wow. All written in Norwegian, because we're Norwegian. And I'll tell you what, if you got hit with that thing, you would die. Exactly. That's my idea with the book cyclone, man. Yeah. Like, oh, it's the reference dictionary. Ah! You're going down, man. 
Well, thing, people people might imagine their their paperbacks, but you know these old books. You know they were they were thick and heavy and yeah. covered in leather. I mean, yeah, they were they were they were, they were yeah, and some of them were iron bound books. You know, oh, so yeah, that would... <laughs> these these were these were not small subtle books. Absolutely awesome. That was an awesome <laughs> idea. I think I might steal it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. Oh wait, it's an idea that you that you can steal. But I have a problem, guys. What's your problem, Barker? We're, we're about to close out the episode. Uh-huh. My problem is I've only had like a beer and a half. <laughs> oh, jeez. I need some help. That's super. Super well, what? <laughs> Barker, Isn't quite good. I know exactly what you need to do to, yeah? to, to, to make yourself feel better. Okay. What I need you to do is drive over to Little Caesars, get yourself a hot and ready. <laughs> okay? Because they're, they're super rad. Oh God! And then I want you to—I want you to drive home. Okay. And I want you to watch Steel Magnolias. That's a—isn't that a band? <laughs> there you That's go, Parker. You need to finish your drink. Damn okay. it! I, my my work here is done. <laughs> Good night, everybody. No. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Roll Up and Die. My name is Barker. My name is Matt from A Fistful of Dice. My name is Alex, aka Captain Gothnog. And I'm Rob the Swamper. And guys, speed. <laughs> this show has been produced by Roll Up and Die and is copyright 2015. It is owned by all three of the primary hosts. The games, movies, and other properties mentioned in this show are the property of their respective owners. Stealing is wrong. You can find all three of the hosts on YouTube and other websites. Matt is at youtube.com slash a fistful of dice. Captain Gothnog is at youtube.com slash Captain Gothnog. And Barker is at www.beabettergamemaster.com. Listeners are free to use this show in any way, shape, or form as long as credit is provided to the Roll Up and Die podcast. Look for other releases of this show at www.beabettergamemaster.com or at facebook.com slash rollupanddie. Have a fantastic day, and as always, happy gaming.